Talking Sports program is brought to you by the Loaded Bases Podcast. This is New York. Everybody late. Everybody. Bases podcast. Um, how you doing? How you doing? As if we, doing as if we weren't just time. on the phone. It's been it's been a long off season, um, and a lot a lot has changed. A lot a lot has changed since last we spoke on the pod, at least because we've been speaking every day. But a lot has changed. Um, to think about where we were when the season was ending, what were the Mets going to do? I was just listening to our last episode. We were talking. We were having a, a shouting argument about what the Mets had to offer about Lindor. And and you were saying that that uh, J.D. Davis and Rosario was enough. And I was saying, no, they need to trade Dom Smith. Looking back on it, that point was false because I was also choosing Dom Smith for the wrong reasons. But still, um, it was it's interesting because it's kind of somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Like, I saw the Indians more as a team that was going to, like, go for it more. But they yeah. just really, I mean, they just like sold out. Like they, I think that, I mean, their offense is decent, but you know they got they it. got Eddie Rosario, you... but but they lost Lindor. Yeah. Um, they effectively they lost Carrasco. They lost Carrasco. You know their their starting staff now is is very front loaded. Uh, I think uh, there's a a young man. By the name of I think what's his name he some dude just won like the fifth starter job and I'm like this dude I I saw him pitch in spring and I know a bit about him he's fine like he's not that he's okay but the it's the Indians they're like a powerhouse of pitching like they generate pitchers Tristan McKenzie Aaron Savali uh you know uh Shane Bieber like they you know you can go on and on and on and and so in that sense, I guess pitching was an area where they can replenish, but they didn't they didn't really replace much of anything, and and it's like they blamed it on the pandemic, and that that was just that I, it's it's tough it's tough to watch, but um, it's also tough to say that when you're when you're a Dolan, you have money. It's not like you're like the poor the poor brother. You had Brett. Your parents owned HBO, sold it for ten billion dollars in the late '90s. It's not like you're you're you know you're you're scrapping around ten billion dollars in the late '90s. It's a different price like point on that now. You know that that wealth accumulates. You also own the Knicks and the Rangers. So I, I just don't understand why. And I, the Indians don't necessarily fall into this category, but maybe they do because they don't ever seem to lock up their players long term. So they always have these players play on the rookie contracts, and then once the time when it gets time to sign them, or right before they trade them, they did the CC Sabathia just recently, not recently, but in the most recent memory that you can think of of a great Indians player. So why why own a team? Come on, yeah, I don't put a competitive product on the field. Yeah, spend I, some money. I mean, I will say o- overall, like the Indians staff is probably like fine, and their team is like fine, but you know that that the division got a little bit more difficult. And, uh, you know, the, the White Sox should be really good and the Twins are going to be really good. And it, it's it's kind of sad to see that a lot of these teams, you know, like especially I mean, we can even touch on this a bit uh, later on when we're sort of talking about the overview of MLB and, you know, win totals. But this is a division that is like extremely winnable. And 
uh, a lot of NL NAL teams are going to feast on a lot of the, the very weak teams. So you're, there's a lot of wins to be had. And, you know, the, I think the Royals are like kind of a sneaky good team. And it's not like this division is, is like you're easily going to run away with it when you very easily could have, if you had doubled down on an already pretty solid team. Like I think of the Indians similar to the Mets in the sense that they're a few pieces away from just being very, very, very good. And they kind of fell, fell short in a few areas. Now, obviously the Indians are different than the Mets because the Mets did spend, they just arguably didn't spend and, and, you know, do everything in their power to, uh, you know, to be a juggernaut. I don't think either of us would classify them as such, but we will get to that. Uh, but yeah, so this is we're back. Um, we are, you know, back for season two. It's been, it's been I've been itchy. I've been I've been very very itchy to, uh, to. But it snuck up quick. It did sneak up quick. It, it came well. Back. That's just because we're bad at planning. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like we've had a lot of time objectively, but like two weeks ago, we're like, oh, oh, sh- dude, we gotta you know, we gotta wrong. start the, like. But we have been, you know, obviously preparing and and, uh, you know. We've uh, we've got a long we've got a long episode for you all today. Uh, we've got number one the this is the f- first episode previewing the series of the Mets and the Yankees. This is going to be a two parter, obviously, because you know you've got we've just got a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to go over you know just today an overview of the off season. We're going to go over you know the pitching and the hitting and all that. Alessandro, what else what else do we have on tap for today? Well, just you know, going over the Yankees offseason moves, what we expect um, coming forward. We got some bold takes coming up on um, what's going on with the Mets and you know the culture that's going on there. We'll get that. We'll get to that at the end. You know, with some of the scandal that popped up over the offseason. Um, and yeah, just excited to be back. Excited to be back. Yeah, you, season two, baby. You said it. I, better I, than ever. Back, back, and well, I, I don't know if I like the best shape of my life. Back I don't think and I better can than say... ever. We put in work. We put in. We put in work. During the off season, well, mentally, mentally, now. but physically, I I Mental can't work. say that I'm in the best shape of my life. I I like it's a tough time. I tried it's to I tried time. to run you know, like fit like, fit, like like I tried to condition my body. I tried to run like uh, it was not good. So hopefully, just real quick, if we could speak on that, I can't go for runs because two things: one, I'm not brave enough to get on the street and run without a mask. It's not time for that yet. Well, you can run. But you can at run the with same a mask. time. No, I'm, but that's the thing. At the same time, I'm also not capable of running with the mask. Oh, because it's too much. <laughs> I need my oxygen. I'm unfortunately, you know, trying to get to the tail end of my cigarette addiction. So it's it's not it's right. not a good mix. The mask and poor lungs and cardio is not a good mix. Well, you'll you'll get there. All right. So uh, I guess we should jump in um, because Let's people. Do I don't think people actually really like banter. They don't want to know who we are. Uh, so. I think. Um, All right. So then, no soul. Yeah. No right, soul exactly. then for the rest of the show. That's exactly no soul. Right. Yeah. Well, we're just going. Let's talk about Francisco Lindor. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna read projections. All. All podcasts. That's Ugh. the only thing. So. All right. So the Lindor signing. Uh, it's 341 million over 10 years with some deferred money. Uh, the total reaches about 365 million. I believe was it. It was about 365. Um, no opt outs. Just no. You know straight up uh there's a limited no trade clause so it's gonna average about you know three three thirty four million a year over the next 10 years um yeah it's 365 including the money that 
was carried over. You know, the, my, the it, it's the his arm. His arm. Although I guess he settled for that in arm actually with the Mets, right? Did he was with the Mets? That he no. So no, no. So he did. He I think. He, so he no. He already settled. He was he was worth like twenty million when he came over. Twenty two. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So why'd you ask me if you already knew? No, I'm kidding. All right. So um, so uh, anyway, so I I think that you know I, I kind of feel this uh, sense right. You know, as a as a person who covers sports, like you're supposed to take like have hot takes, but I'm not gonna lie. I think I've probably been aside from like my initial reaction to the Lindor signing, I've been very lukewarm on the whole thing. Like I I'm not like obviously you remember like I had my good two weeks like where you wake up every day you're like oh my god the Mets have Francisco Lindor like what the hell like of course or like of course. and you deserve that yeah and 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 also you know have to you have to remember like at this point yes the Mets had I think they had like uh you know May and they had um you know McCann but they didn't really have that big splash so this I think was almost like a barrier like you know this was like okay. The Mets are, you know, Stephen Cohen and Mets company are are legit. Like in this sense, they are legit. Like to and at least to me, the way I read it was, all right, at least now I know the Mets are capable of netting a big fish. And that that made me very comfortable. That made me very happy. Like, you know, uh, I would not consider Lindor a top 10 position player. I think he's probably more like 15 ish. You know, I could even push him to like you know, 19 or 18, but probably, probably like 15 uh, or 12 or so. He's a top 15 player. Yeah. To, I right, mean, top like, 15 position, player. position player, not, He's not a top 20 pitcher. player. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe, but no, there's a lot. I mean, there, I don't know. I, I don't even really care what other pitchers are comparing pitchers to hitters, well, but yeah, but I, you know, I will say that uh, I've just been super lukewarm, lukewarm, excuse me on the whole thing, because I'm not of the camp that believes that, you needed to lock up Lindor for the trade to make sense. Uh, I think that, you know, I, we understand, right. So the trade for those who are not aware of just all the details, it was, for those who have been sleeping under a rock. uh, Yeah. I mean, well, you know what? I, I like to be inclusive. Uh, So it was Ahmed Rosario, Isaiah green, who was one of the picks that Brody scooped up. It was a nice, it was a nice pick uh, in, in the 2019 draft. And it was Ahmed Rosar. I mean, excuse me. It was uh, Andres Jimenez, who you know looks like he has a, a bright future. He's an insanely good fielder. He's a competent hitter. Um, he's you know never been like a huge bat in the minors, but like solid. You know, it's like solid numbers in the minors uh, for two years of Carrasco, and then the op the team option for a third at a very team friendly price. It's uh, thirteen to four. I think it was t- uh, thirteen million a year uh, for for Carrasco and uh, one year of, of uh, superstar Lindor at a $20 million contract, which is probably a little bit of a discount for, I mean, really, you, you know, I'm probably higher on Ahmed Rosario than a lot of other people, but I see Ahmed Rosario uh, as a competent, if not better shortstop, right? Like there, he's just unfortunately living or playing in an era where, you know, um, Elvis Andres is not like a top five shortstop. Like there are these massive, unbelievable talents at short, which kind of dwarfs Ahmed Rosario's skill. And Ahmed Rosario is the type of player that is kind of incrementally getting better, but not at a a pace that justifies, you know, having him be a starter, you know? And so 
if you're if the Mets make this deal and you know the Indians uh might not even roster Ahmed Rosario that often. Like if if Ahmed if Andres Jimenez is good, I don't know where you put Ahmed Rosario. Like he may not even play that often for this team. He may find himself on another team. Like that's kind of who he is at this point, unfortunately. Um, and again, I think he can be much better, but my point is you essentially traded a, a, a throw in shortstop or maybe like a, a step or two above a throw in shortstop, a very low level wow. prospect. Uh, I, well, yeah. Cause I mean, well, who start, start change, start change from last season. No, season I think that's your, no, no, no perspective on the med Rosario. I'm glad that you come around. No, 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 no. Let me, that's, this is what I'm saying is that on the Indians, that's what he's going to be. Because if again, if Andres Jimenez is good, who's getting the playing time? Right. And if yeah, and right. what can you put him at third? No, you have Jose Jose Ramirez. You put him at second. No, you you're paying uh, Cesar Hernandez, who's a, a very competent player. He can't play outfield either, so he's out of a job probably. Like that's who he is on the Indians. Like I said, I'm actually relatively high on Ahmed Rosario. I just think that again, he's the kind of player that's incrementally going to get better. He does like that's just who he is. Uh, and he's very young, like he's 25, 26, he can still get better, but uh, I think that he is somebody who, as presently constructed, what the Indians are trading for may not be a starter. Um, that's that's how you evaluate trades, right? You can't say, oh, I think he's going to be great. Like, no, you're paying for the years of control and what he is now. So my point is, the, a long-winded way of getting to the point, yeah. is that mm-hmm. I think the, the trade is essentially Ahmed Rosario- I mean, excuse me, uh, Andres Jimenez and two supplemental pieces for one year of Francisco Lindor at a $10 million discount and two years of a frontline starter who has some, you know, medical uh, uh, concerns who had an amazing year last year um, and, you know, looks great. And I think that that's an absolutely fair trade. And I don't think that you need to lock up Lindor uh, to make that trade a good trade. Like, I just don't, I just never thought that that was a, a thing. And I, and I, Mets fans, you can't say that because they are like, you have to lock, like you just have to lock up Lindor. And like, I just don't, I never thought you had to do that. So when they, lo- I think, will you go yeah. on? No, go on. Well, I think, I think your argument gets supported by the fact of how many shortstops are going to be available in the off season. Right. And I was of the belief, you actually convinced me, you know, I wish we had this debate on the podcast, but you actually did end up convincing me because I was of the opinion, listen, you know, you just traded, yeah, okay, you know, Rosario, you know, he's the clock is ticking for him, he's 26 years old, the Mets have to decide what they want to be. Do they want to be a team that continues to develop players and continues to accumulate draft picks and, you know, develops through the system and then eventually cashes in, brings in the veterans, or do they believe they have enough now to bring in all-star talent and eventually compete over the next, you know, four or five years. And they decided that they did. They, you know, they have P. Alonzo, they have Jeff McNeil, they have Jacob DeGrand, who's a stud and ready, they have Noah coming back. So they, they decided that they were ready. And Rosario is, you know, not going to serve a purpose on that Mets team if that's your direction in which you're going in. But you also gave up Jimenez, which is a, you know... It's a tough, it's a very, very tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. But, but my main point is, is that you ended up convincing me. Because if, when you look at the deal, right... Okay, you get Francisco Lindor for one year. You lock him up. He's not a top 10 position player, but he's a stud. He can play the position. He can play it at a high level. And look, we can be worried about the back end of that contract, right? He's going to be making $34 million a year until he's 38, turning 39. 
right? So it was age 39 season. The, I mean, it's the back end of a 10 year, virtually but all 10 year contracts are yeah, awful. You can't be worried about the back end of a 10 year contract. You're paying for the prime years of his career, and your uh, intent is to go for it within the next few years, to go for it now. I mean, they would theoretically want to go for it now. We, we can get into that later. It might not happen this year, but they have now secured themselves an elite shortstop at the position. And then you also get Carlos Carrasco, who, yes, has had, you know, he had leukemia and battled through it. We don't know what kind of effect that, you know, going through intense chemotherapy might have on his body. But if he picks up his $14 million, it's $14 million, the player option, I looked it up. If he picks that up, you only end up paying this guy $38 million over the next three years. It's a player years, option. It's out. not a team option? Oh, it might be a team option. I think it's a I, team I think option. It's a player option. No, I think. Okay, you, you, you might know better than me because you probably did more research on the Mets than I did. But <laughs> it's all good. We, 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 can, we, can, we can figure that out in a second. But anyway, regardless, okay, so then you minus that $14 million and you're only paying him $24 million over the next two years. And that's, that could be a bargain. You're essentially paying $12 million a year for a guy who could be a solid number two pitcher behind DeGrom, or even a number three, then you get Noah coming back. I mean, obviously this is going to affect things. We, we can get into this in a second because if Noah comes back and he has an all-star, you know, he, he's pitching at, you know, 85% of his peak capacity. Now you're saying, okay, hold on. We need to be able to lock up Syndergaard as well because we don't want to lose a talent like that. But it works out at the end of the day. You get Lindor for 10 years. You get Carrasco, who's a solid pitcher. You have Stroman. It's actually unfortunate. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's unfortunate that he got hurt because Stroman's on a one-year deal. Well, here, Now what yeah. happens if um, – let me ask you real quick. Let me ask you real sure. quick. What happens if Stroman goes out and, – and it's funny. I'll, 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 I'll save it for later. But if Stroman goes out and he pitches ace caliber or potential 1B – type caliber to DeGrom's, you know, not, he's not going to be DeGrom's 1B one, no, one no, to 1A. One so. But, you know, if he goes out and he has a good season and you want to bring him back, Noah pitches well, you want to bring him back. You have Conforto, you want to bring him back. How does this contract now affect what the Mets are going to do in terms of locking up three immediate guys in the offseason? All right, well, I'll, I will tell you. So there's a couple of things. So I, for, for one, I will start by addressing a, a few things. So um, – Lindor's contract, just I personally thought that they should have prioritized Conforto. Um, I know that Scott Boris is his, is Conforto's agent. I have trouble kind of understanding their rationale. Uh, I mean, I sort of do. So Scott Boris said to Andy Martino uh, that, and you know, I know people have some issues with Andy Martino, but this doesn't make sense for him to just like fabricate this. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I have no opinion on, on Andy Martino, but uh, so he said that Scott Boris sees the contract that the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, the contract they gave to George Springer as a starting point, 150, what was it? 150 million or so as a starting point, because Conforto yeah. is about as good offensively and which is, I don't even really know if that's true. Um, certainly not sustain the way Springer has, um, but is also several years younger. So that's how Scott Boris is is sort of framing it. The other thing is, like, you look at contracts from outfielders as well, like Nicholas Castellanos, who made $16 million. And Nicholas Castellanos, I think, is, like, maybe a, a step below Conforto. He's, like, a terrible fielder, just, like, notoriously bad. And he's only had, like, one or two offensive seasons. But he's had a longer resume 
and a longer, you know, uh, career than Conforto and has been progressively better. So him making 16 and Springer making 25, I kind of feel like Conforto should be around those two players uh, with like around the 24, 25 AAV. I think that's probably fair. The question is how many years is, is he going to want? And that, that I don't know, but here's what I'll say about Lind- uh, Conforto. And then I'll just hop back on Lindor. If you've watched, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if you have, uh, maybe you have, but as a Mets fan, there was a couple, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I think it may have been 2012. They had a show. It was like the all Mets team. I have not. You're not missing out because it was it was awful. Like it was just so sad. Like just you, it just like oh hey, like is Nolan Ryan there? No, they they traded him. Like oh it, like yeah, Tom Seaver's there, but like who's the second best starter? Like oh, it's Ron Darling. Like, he didn't really start his career here. Like oh, who's the who's like the third best? Like oh, it's like Sid Fernandez. Like he like Sid Fernandez. Like what? Like who's their you know starting first baseman? Like oh, we we tried to get John Olerud, but like he couldn't make it. Like it's just it's just all, Edgardo Alfonso is like a fine second baseman, but he's not like a you know when you think of Edgardo Alfonso, I think of like. I think of like that guy in the league that's there for like five or six years who's like underrated during that time, but I don't think of it as as like an all-time great. Um, and that's and and you look at how many homegrown players started their careers with the Mets and finished their careers with the Mets and had full, healthy, great careers, and <clears throat> the list is very short. If if really like, uh, you know, I mean, I just it's it's very hard to think of like, you know, just those. There's very few. There's very few. Like Ed Crane Pool is one, and there's there's not too many. So Michael Conforto, I think, can be that, and I think it's important when you're a rookie, your first day, right? Talk about establishing a culture in an organization. Whose pictures are they hanging up on the wall? Like I'm I'm so sick of hearing about the 1986 World Series and like Tom Seaver. Like this team needs to start making new history, and Michael Conforto is a terrific player and a terrific, I I think as good a candidate as any to receive a a contract extension. And I think there's something to be said for extending players that you drafted and, and called up. Like, you know, I think there, that should be prioritized. And I think those, those kinds of players, including Noah Syndergaard should be prioritized. Um, I get that. That's not how that works in many cases. Cause Lindor like had a clock and, and he probably like will, he probably would have preferred to, you know, sign uh, or may he probably was willing to hit free agency, but like, I don't know, probably so was Conforto. So that's just my take on that. Now to hop quickly into Lindor. Um, so I know you're not like a huge fan of war, but it is a solid approximator, right? Like, you know, every year Mike Trout is going to be worth, you know, nine or 10 war, you know, the best players are worth about nine or 10 war. It's like a solid approximator. Um, and, and it's an accumulative stat, so it's good for comparison. And so if you look at shortstops through their age 26 season, uh, you see that Lindor uh, is is a 27.9 war, right? And so uh, he averages about seven war a year. That's like slightly below MVP level, which I think is accurate. I think that's I think we would both agree that Lindor is about like a maybe just slightly under the MVP caliber. And may, may be capable of an MVP season, but ha- I, I don't think has been an MVP caliber player yet. So through his age 20, uh, 26 season, 
His 20, 27.9 war points are better than Nomar Garcia Parra's 20, uh, through his age 26 season, better than Reyes's, although Reyes was injured a lot, so that's, that's probably why. Better than Barry Larkin, better than Alan Trammell, better than Ernie Banks. Uh, he likely would have been better than Robin Yount. He's only a few war points difference, but again, the COVID-shortened season, you know, who, who knows, right? But uh, And he also probably would have been slightly better than Jeter if he had had a good year, who's at 30 war which is one of the highest totals, but still uh, Lindor may have eclipsed it. Uh, and so Lindor is an incredibly special player. Like we, like I'm not, I just want to make that clear. Like I'm not against, I'm happy to have Lindor on my team. I just didn't think it was a necessity, but you know, they have their superstar and there is something to be said for being able to plan around a player, right? Like you don't have to worry about shortstop for the next 10 years. Like that's, well, insanely. That's probably. I mean, obviously, if he gets injured, right? But or, or no, fine. Not the next ten years. The next five years, or at you know five years, and you're and it's an area where you just don't you don't really have to worry. And I think that there's something very valuable to being able to plan around a player, uh, right? Just not having to to you know move things around to try and sign someone. And can we sign this guy because of this? And that you know so. Um, so the well, this is what I'll this, yeah. Well, I was going to say that that after the Lindor signing. Given all the contract uh, commitments, assuming that DeGrom doesn't opt out and adding Cano's money, which comes back on the books, the Mets have about 80 to 90 million dollars in cap space uh, after the Lindor signing. And then if you, you know, if Michael Conforto makes 25 million, then you have about 55 or 65 million to for all your additions. And you're going to have Stroman coming off the books as well which this factors that in already and he's going to probably want 20 million a year depending on his year right so you know and that doesn't even include um that doesn't even include Noah Syndergaard right so you know maybe the CBA will negotiate be negotiated and the ceiling will raise uh, we'll see like you know more, a higher cap which is entirely possible but as of right now I don't think you can assume that I think you have to act as if it's going to be 200 what was it 208 uh, or 212, excuse me. So, yeah. So, you know, that's going to be tight. I agree. Like, I, I completely well, get that. Let me, let me respond to a couple things you said. Let me start. I'm going to bang through them quickly. I'm going to start with Conforto just real quick. Just bring it back real quick. I think you're right. I think the Mets should lock him up. And, I, you know, it's interesting. People, and we'll get into this later about George Springer, you know, you know, he wanted an extra year from the Mets. So that was what was reported. Mets didn't want to go that extra year. Interesting how, you know, when you look at Lindor's contract, you look at some of the other contracts that have been signed over the past year, how 25 AAV for George Springer, you know, it actually seems a bit like a bargain, but then you also see that he's 32, you know, so he's going to be locked in that contract until he's 37, 38 years old. Did the Mets really want to be paying $25 million a year to a guy who is already 32 years old, going to be entering in to, you know, when when the contract's over, he's going to be, you know, 38, 39 years old. Um, Another thing is, is that, Conforto, you know, last year was only 60 games, but his numbers went through the roof last year, right? And and they've been trending, you know, they've been kind of hovering around the same area, and then last year they went up. So it might be in the best interest. Well, he's also, I mean, to be fair, I will say that Conforto, there are certain changes that he made. Like he's somebody, he's a player that I think got too home run happy, 
and uh, he's sort of been he's he's a an amazing contact hitter when he is not being streaky, and he, you can tell that he stopped trying to hit home runs last year every good bat. He went the other way more. He was he became honestly a little bit more of a of a slap hitter. Um, and that raised his average. And so he didn't hit a high slump, but, own- but it was a half a season, right? So maybe that would have corrected. And it, and it, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm just going to say one more thing. His BABIP was like 408, which is like going to, I mean, probably going to regress. So um, my only point is, is that it might be in his best interest. And it also might be in the Mets best interest to both wait and let him play out the season. Because again, his numbers went up, even though it was only 60 games last year, his numbers went through the roof. Right. And, for the Mets, it might be a better position for them to see, like, okay, can he sustain this type of play throughout a 162-game season? For Conforto, it could be, if I play my ass off this year, I'm 28 years old. George Springer just got $25 million AAV, but he's 32 years old. I'm going to be entering 20, age 29 season. Maybe I can get the same or a little bit higher rather than taking a couple million less in terms of like a $21, $20 million contract. Maybe that won't mean the world to him, but some of these guys it does. Some of these guys, it does. Now, with Lindor, Lindor, listen, like, I mean, is it going to affect, you know, you talked about, you know, war, right, and what he brings every year. That's true. I mean, at the same time, 2018, he had a 7.7 war, then 2019, bang, 4.4. And then last year, he was terrible. Last year, he had a bad year. I mean, yeah, but I mean, come on. That was a half, that was like a half a season. It's half a season, yeah. But what also concerns me is that his his weighted runs created has also been trending downwards significantly. Um, now again, last year it was 60 games. It's not, nothing to be worried about. And I'm, I'm not telling you that you should be worried. That's, that's my main point. I think that, look, I was lukewarm on it this morning. I, I still, when, like, when, I when still I found am. Out. Yeah. I, I, I'm with when you I found there. out I was lukewarm on it, but at the same time, you're getting a guy who, well, there's, a, there's so many things that, that play into this. I mean, the only thing that would concern me is the amount of dollars that I'm, I'm giving to him. Right. And then what's the flexibility in terms of locking everybody else down and yeah. how is this going to affect me on the back end? But at the same time, in the immediate with what this team has been through, you can't really force yourself to get lost in that type of thought. Yeah. yeah while his numbers have regressed a little bit offensively, this guy's a plus defender at the position. He's a great face of the organization to have the flexibility and the amount of money that you're giving him per year is risky, but you were always going to probably pay him over three hundred million. Yeah, I, that's so the that thing, means, right? Regardless, you were always going to give him thirty million, and you made the point earlier. You know what's the difference between paying him thirty-two million per year and paying him thirty-four? Million you're not going to feel the original it. Yeah. offer. Both offers were going to be a thirty-two, of course, thirty-two point yeah, five AAV. So, and then you know, I also you know, I will say something that you said that I thought was poignant, which was, you know, he is somebody who's connected to the union. Like he's he's somebody who yeah. is. And actually, let me that. not let me not make your point for you. Why don't you go ahead and say that? Because I've just well, no, I, I just want to. This is something that needs to be said, and I think what you're about to say is incredibly important for people who are listening who have been saying that Lindor is selfish, who are saying he's greedy, who are saying he's money well, hungry. Well, we 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 almost we kind of a little bit fell into that trap too because we we didn't fall into that trap, but we were. Reading the room. No, I said that we he saying. was not going to get that, and I, th- I yeah, but I that's not. But we we pretty much were able to read the room. The entire we time we're saying it. like get the bag, Lindor. Like we're not. I'm not. Yeah. Neither one of us are against him trying to get money. But continue. No, of course not. But you know, we were just reading the room. You go on Twitter, you see what like crazy Met fans are saying or whatever. There's crazy fans for every MLB fan base, so Met fans don't get upset. But you know, 
we both admitted to ourselves, you know, look, if they don't get this deal done and it's because he's standing and he said, he said he never, he spoke today. He said he never drew a line in the sand. That may be true. may not be, but we were saying, look, if he is asking for 12 years, 385, which was what the asking price was, and the Mets don't want to budge and he doesn't want to budge, he's going to get booed opening day, flat out, um, or opening day at Mets Stadium because they were going to open today in, uh, at, yeah. in the National Stadium, right? Um, that he was going to get booed and it wasn't going to be a good luck. People will get mad at Steve Cohen. But taking a deeper look into it, he's on the executive board for the Players Association. So, looking at this offseason that's coming up, okay, I have Javier Baez, I have Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, all could be going to be free agents, right? These are position players. If I'm asking for the highest possible value, right, if I'm, if I'm asking for $385 million, that gives me $32 million a year, and he ended up getting thirty four, so he ended up getting more, he didn't get the years, which is going to suck for him because he's going to be a three, free agent at 37, might not want to walk away, but he's still getting $340 million, so it doesn't really matter, Um if he gets that much money, now he's setting up his, you know, constituents, or not his constituents, but his, you know, his, his, peers, his, his, his former his former peers to also receive a similar payday or at least have a bump. Like Astros just offered Correa, like, two, what was it, $120 million or something? Well, you're raising like everything. You're raising years? the floor of the league. Exactly. You're raising the average so, so, salary of the league. I was just about to say, raising so the ceiling, what, right? So. So what's happening is now, look, okay, so now the Mets are spending $34 million on Lindor, and now when when the free agency starts, okay, let's say Trevor Story, who I think you and I both agree might get more money than I think than he's Lindor. a better player than, than or, Lindor, for Or he sure. can now. He's a better player. He's a better player than Lindor all, all, Nothing overall. against Lindor. It's just like they're both yeah. amazing. Seager, Seager has had his injury history, but he might get a similar payday, right? Because he's young. He's 26. I think he stays with um, the Dodgers, but he, so he's going to get paid. Yeah, me too. But but so when these teams are spending that much money, not just on Lindor, but on Mookie Betts, on pitching for Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, it's now forcing the owners who negotiated the, the previous CBA and implemented the tax threshold, which pissed off the players because they kind of got duped into it. It's now going to force them to raise that threshold. That, the, the floor. Because yeah, or the ceiling, rather. The ceiling because, because they need so to. now okay now instead of two twelve yes, maybe it'll exactly. go up to three hundred or maybe it'll go up to two eighty I don't know if and when you said that I was that like oh fantastic. this is exactly right like yeah, that's that's just it's so true it because so as unfortunate as that might be for Mets fans it's better for the players be a good and it's also like be a good teams all teams be a humanitarian big fan team. like you should because with this but also just yeah go on go on, go on. It, if you're a big market team. Right, I'm like you know, if your team doesn't listen, we th- we're gonna get into this in another episode because we should do this. If there are teams in baseball that don't spend money and it's egregious, and we we kind of touched on it with the Indians, but they're not really a great example. But there are teams that don't spend money in baseball, like the Rockies, and they 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 should not be allowed to own a team. Well, the Rockies are just bad at everything, and the fans <laughs> the do. fans do not their fans don't deserve that. Why be a fan of a team? But anyway, I don't want to get into no, it. No, but, well, but, but was, if you're a big market team, if you're the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mets. The Dodgers, you you you're, you now it's, it's the best thing ever for you. So it, 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 even though Met fans, it might hurt them on the back. I know, like oh, we're spending thirty four million on this guy. Guess what? Now you might, if the ceiling gets raised, now it won't actually be the end of the world. The thirty four million can become the new twenty four million. That's I don't exactly know if it'll right. Be that that's, yeah, that's the other thing, right? But, and so I was also going to say that that um, you know. First of all, with with Lindor, all right, you know, people are saying this is an overpay. Like I think people don't 
like people forget like this is all made it's up. It's an overpay. This, this it's an overpay. It, well, I mean, fine in the sense that it's an overpay relative to other contracts, and I get that that's kind of largely how we you know evaluate players' contracts, but in terms of what a player is worth, right? Like there's a somewhat arbitrary, but also consistent way of looking at dollar values, which is, you know, 8 million per win is, a, is about when you look at war ver, versus um, free agent spending and how much a, a win is worth in free agency. It's about $8 million. Like Mike Trout is never going to make, you know, 80 million, 70 million if he wins, if he wins an, another MVP and, and it has another nine, 10 win season. Like he's, he got underpaid. Um, there's, there's a mark. The, the, this whole league is nothing but a market inefficiency, right? The best players in their primes get paid almost nothing and they hit free agency and then teams pay what they're willing to pay. Like there's no real consistent, like there's like the Phillies went out and just gave Bryce Harper a ton of money and you know like none of this is is linear in the sense that every player is going to get exactly what they're worth and you know it's just it's it's teams will suppress wages at the lowest levels um and the and the free agent market is basically just like what teams need and half the time teams are actively lowering the average value of players because they're intentionally not spending because they're like we're actually better off being you know, an 85 win team or even like a mid nineties win team, we're better off than being in a hundred win team because we have a lower draft pick. And depending on the CBA, there might also be penalties for being a, you know, a successful team. So the teams are not like always trying and that's always going to lower the value of players. So if you're talking about value, none of these values are accurate. Like you, if you're going to harp on Lindor, like you, that's kind of assuming that it's like his it's just fault. relative to the time. Well, it's, it's just, relative to the time. It's, timing is like, everything. Mike Trout, Mike Trout, it's egregious to pay anybody 70 to $80 million to play baseball. It just is. Well, but I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. Like in, in the today's dollars, it's all relative. Yeah. It's all relative to how much money is in the game. War, when, you take, when you take a look at his war, yeah, he should be, you know, if you, if you want to be technical about it, yeah, you should be you should be paying seventy to eighty million dollars. But you know that that's that's ridiculous. Well, no, I mean, is it though? Because you're not going to. You're expecting a threshold. You're expe- there's 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 a there's a cap to this. Sure, but now, that's self imposed. Point. Yeah, I, it's not yeah, like a free market. By the owners, it's self imposed by the owners, right. So that the small market teams don't have to go out there and spend a shit ton of money. Exactly. But at the same time, then they want to whine and complain about how they can't compete with the big dogs. I mean, you can't have it both ways. The whole thing before the threshold, when there was no salary cap, because the threshold is you can go over the threshold, but it's a salary cap because you don't want to go over the threshold for two or three years in a row because then you get slapped with with losing draft picks. You don't want to do that. I mean, it's, so it's all made up. Before the threshold, I know, but the th- the whole thing before the threshold was: look, we, we're not like the big clubs. We don't have the money to spend. You know, we're gonna we're gonna draft guys. We're gonna you know we're gonna play them out, and then when it times to give them big money, we're gonna let them walk. Then they put in the threshold to try and limit that, and they're still doing the same thing. Yeah, so yeah. what the fuck? It's I all mean, it's all thing, made up. And you either have to penalize teams more for going over the threshold, or just be done with it. Kick the owners out who don't want to spend enough money and bring in owners that do. But there should be like yeah, that's, we live in America. Yeah, that's right? the real issue. Unfortunately, there's way too many. There, we live in America, and unfortunately, there's way too many too many billionaires.
millionaires out there with way too much wealth, and the rest of us don't have any. I won't. I won't get into it. All right, Bernie. <laughs> we'll, we'll, you know. we'll get back to that on another <laughs> podcast. Like, but no. But, um, um, but I, yeah. So I mean, look. In the end, this the really the only. I mean, this is going to sound super corny, but I actually kind of mean it, low key. Which is like the only currency in baseball is just like happiness and viewership, and like. You know, the Rays may win a lot, but their fans are are tight because they can never get to know players like I'd rather I'd rather be able to like really like a player for like 10 years and maybe. No, I disagree. Well, yeah, actually, maybe this I disagree is, this with is that the age old debate. You want to you want to rather be competitive with this is this is an age old debate. Would you rather be competitive for 20 years and not win at all or win? You know, well, actually, no, no, actually, I will just insert, I will insert one thing, which is actually that you can, you can actually have it both ways, which is that if the Rays actually spent money and they could actually retain some players, they just, they just choose not to. Uh, And there are other, I think, I suspect actually that the Rays lose their, I suspect that the Rays are not as good as they could be on purpose, not just to save money, but also to get free agent money. Uh, or excuse me, like better draft picks and also better slot money. They don't because you get you, when you spend on free agents, you actually get less bonus pool money. And I think the Rays intentionally do that because a lot of their talent comes from the international market, actually more so than almost any other team besides the Yankees. That is my little uh, conspiracy theory. Just had to insert that in there. But anyway, so all right now yeah. the point of this episode <laughs> is. Um, is to talk about the Mets offseason. I'm going to give it a grade. I was literally just yeah. about to. I was just about to be like, all right, so let's talk about the Yeah, yeah. Let's just <laughs> pivot. I was literally just about to say it. Yeah. Because we do have to move Speaking on. Speaking of teams spending or not spending, uh, it's weird because the Mets definitely did spend. And like part of me feels like you should be so grateful that the will ponds don't exist. Like yeah. pinch yourself every no, day. You but I also feel like it's been ruined a little bit by Mets fans who um, – proselytize Steve Cohen who's just like a dude who owns your team he's like I just feel like it's uh it just it's unbelievable that fans actually treat him like a deity um yeah yeah so good way to put it yeah I I I don't know um well I mean what what grade would you give them overall I would say hmm I kind of want to. I kind of want to say A minus, but I probably have to go B plus or or yeah, like B plus. The Mets yeah. basically needed to go into the offseason and get a center fielder, a catcher, um, maybe you know a, a lot of depth, like a good amount of depth, and and just really like revamp the bullpen and maybe get like another starter or two. So they got their starter. Like that was I think almost number one. The catcher would probably actually is number one, and they did that. Um, the you know they didn't get real muto but i honestly don't care because they didn't want to play chicken with the most important position defensively uh, on the team they got terrible value from wilson ramos he was just like a brick he was like you know that mario thing that like like it has spikes and it just hangs in the air and it falls on the ground like he's that thing yeah. defensively he is just not nimble he he's he's an okay hitter but um it was really just not a great situation he's a good he's a good hitter for the business. he's okay he's like okay but um anyway but defensively and and apparently game calling wise he just was not he was just not he was not it like he just wasn't good and for a team that's apparently been built on pitching for so many years they haven't really had good defensive catchers and i believe in the changes that that jerry naren made with with james mccann 
Uh, framing is something that players have shown that they can do in an off season. Like literally like Tyler flowers, um, uh, JT real Muto, Jorge Alfaro. They're just like Mitch Garver. There's just so many examples of catchers just like taking one off season and learning framing and becoming very competent. Uh, and so I believe it's entirely possible for, uh, uh, James McCann to be good offensively and defensively and framing and game calling, Lucas Giolito raves about him, and if you're Lucas Giolito, excuse me, Lucas Giolito, who is a pitcher who really requires and and relies on uh, game calling, uh, and a catcher who can handle his stuff, uh, it it it's I I just think like I just have a lot of faith in James McCann being a competent option, and I'm happy that they didn't play chicken with an incredibly important position like I just I don't think they could afford to so catcher I give them like I give them an A I think they did fine like um, I'm happy that they didn't take the risk because what happens let me ask you this what happens if they miss out on James McCann and and JT Real Muto there were a lot of teams this offseason that kind of needed a catcher Um, I thought maybe the Yankees might even scoop a decent catcher who's to say that they may not have scooped you know James McCann if if they you know, money shifted certain directions. Like, you know, he, he's really not that expensive. So he's like, t- he's making 10 million like that. I, many teams can afford that. I, I don't think he's the player. He's the kind of player you can wait for. Um, it was a say it was a, it was a, I don't want to say it was a safe bet. It was safe. I think um, it was the safest thing they could have done. I, I think they were definitely going to give Real Muto the money he wanted had he just accepted it instead of waiting all offseason. And he said he didn't want to go to the Mets. Remember, he he preferred to go to the Phillies. So I mean, you look at James McCann. This is a guy who has never played a full season before. He he has he has a war that is in the negative. Okay, but most negative. catchers don't play full seasons, though. Most catchers no, play seventy five percent. Most of catchers the year. also don't average one hundred and ten games a season. I mean, most of them average one hundred and forty. No, one hundred forty is not an average. That's a high. Ramuto plays one hundred and forty five games a season, and when you look at his AAV, you're paying him twenty three million a year, and you're going to have him until he's thirty five. And I understand. Okay, like I just think that there's a there's a vast difference between JT Real Muto and James McCann. I'll I'll give my opinion on on on. Well, all I'm saying is there's also an op, there's also a massive opportunity cost in not getting either one. Uh, the next best catcher, I, I I quite frankly I think it's like Jason Castro, and that's that's just not that's not it either. It was tough. They were in a tough position because they needed a catcher. And, and also J- JT yeah. real Muto doesn't average 145 games or 140. That's like his high. He 126, 137, 141, 125. All right. Well, it's like hovering or it's like yeah, 130, exactly. no, right? And JT real Muto plays, 100 but 110 games so for a catcher. That's like, that's like average. And also he wasn't playing a lot of those really. games because he was on the same team as Yasmani Grandal. So you know, I think that that's a good point. The, the, good the point. years that he put it together, they gave him time and he did really well. Um, and so I think that my, basically what I want in a catcher is competent offense, playing enough games so that I can like, I'm, you know, you're playing like two thirds of the games or, or like whatever. I, that's not, I'm hundred games, 120 that remember there were reports early in the off season that he wanted like 200 million. Yeah. Like he was out of his mind. He was out of his mind. You cannot wait for it. Like, my point is I'm more concerned with the opportunity cost of not getting either. And I'd rather have the safer choice specifically with catcher. Like if it were like an outfielder or something, I just don't understand why you're saying it's the safer choice. It's the cheaper choice. No, no, no. It's the, I mean, no, 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 no. It's JT Real Muto was a better 
Short is a better catcher than McCann. He plays more games per year than McCann. Of regardless, I'm not saying if you, if you're, right, you're misunderstanding team, what I'm saying. I'm not you're saying also mis- you're also forgetting that McCann was on the Tigers for a good period of his career. I mean, he was right. the catcher for the Tigers for a good period of his career. Right. Then he went to the White Sox and was the backup. And then last year he played well. He played well over 30 games and he drove his value up. Well, he was. So, well, to be fair though. On the in 2019, he really was the guy who got the most starts at catcher because. But is it is it totally possible that in in 15 years, 20 years from now, we could be looking back and laughing at uh, laughing at ourselves, saying that McCann was the better option over Real Muto? Okay, again, again, all things being equal, if they were both like lining up and saying we'll both sign right now, it's it's like it's like November. Just take my money. The Mets would have taken JT Real Muto. Like that, that's the thing. He just would, he wasn't making it easy for them. And I, I completely support this choice, which they said, all right, well, we cannot afford to wait because if we lose McCann and then you end up signing in Philly, which I, I kind of suspect. And I think a lot of people suspect that he kind of wanted to do that the whole time. At least he was, he preferred that. Um, The Mets were like, well, I'd rather not risk losing both of them. And, and that's what I mean by safer. Like I'd rather deal with, you know, like Jason Castro is actually not a, de- is like a decent catcher, but he, he can't hit lefties like at all. And so you're going to have a catcher who plays what, like a, again, like two thirds of the year and can't hit lefties. What the hell? Like, I, I don't want that. And then, you know, after him, it was like, I think uh, I don't remember all the catching options. Like, you, you don't want to end up like with Jan Gomes because then they missed out on Bauer. So all right, you miss out on a good catcher. You missed out on Bauer. You then, you know, they didn't get like maybe they would have gotten Springer. But like, I just I'm very I'm happy that they went with like the B option because they they got it done. Well, like, there wasn't really many other options. They, they, they that's were, my they were point. A though. Bit forced to. Yeah, that's my point, though. So but my question, did they ever make him an official? Yes, I know they talked. They to him, totally they, were they made him. An yes, official they, offer? they offered him money. They were like they were like pursuing him since the very beginning. I know they were pursuing him and I know they talked to him, but that's different. Than, and he than, was giving them him an actual and offer. he was not. He was giving them the runaround. He, he just he wouldn't he wouldn't sign like he. He, you know, and and he ended up going to Philly for not that much money. Like you don't think the Mets offered him that? Like that they they offered Springer that that the same amount. I mean, it, they, the Mets were willing to offer you know a competitive offer. They just he just didn't take it. There's nothing you can really do about that. And and I think that if you wait the entire off season for an ex- like catcher is the like catcher is one thing, especially in today's game where framing is like we now know how important framing is. That's not something that I want to risk. Like I, you know, I maybe you end up with like Tyler Flowers, who's like a god at framing, who just can't hit. Like if you if they had signed like I don't know like uh, Trevor Bauer and I don't know like Lindor or something. His defensive WAR, Real Muto's defensive WAR is fifteen point six. Um, I, yeah, I, I understand. Comparison to, so, comparison to McCann's 3. So the thing about two. defensive war and catchers, I'm not like a huge fan of it just cause it's catchers. Honestly, right, they're, well, you can pick and choose stats all you want, but that's what the stat is. No, no. I understand what you're saying, but I think the cat catchers more than any other position, uh, like Yadier Molina, his stats, if you look at them are not terrific in a lot of areas. But you know, you just like you you know that he calls an, a, the best game in baseball. Like there, are, catcher is probably the only position where I think there are some like pop time you can't argue with. That's like like you know how many runners a batter a, a catcher throws out you can't argue with that. That's like an actual stat. 
Um, but it's like like errant run saved is the stat that they use to try and uh, use for blocking. And even that is like not great. So D war it's okay, but it's not just for catcher. The most important thing, at least in my opinion is framing and James McCann has shown improvements in framing. And I think can continue. It's just so many catchers have done it. Um, it's just like a learning curve, I think. Uh, yeah. We spent we spent fifteen minutes on on catchers. All right, and fine. We're going on Good. an hour right yeah, now talking enough. about the Mets. All right, so then again, the outfield, right? I, I again, I, I maybe I'm just not cut out for like being a New York t- type of like hot take. You know, I this is my opinion and blah blah blah. Like I, I flip flopped a lot. I will completely openly say that on George Springer. Ultimately, I'm actually kind of happy they didn't sign him. Um, because I think that like, I, I went on that whole rant about Conforto. Uh, I would prefer just having Conforto. Like I would prefer locking up Conforto and now if they don't lock up Conforto, I, I will be tight. I admit, I think that that would have been, if you're, if you're not signing Springer and you're, you know that you were like when you, I, I, I fully believe that Cohen signed Lindor anticipating that he was going to lock him up. And they were also pursuing Springer at the same time, or, or or after that rather. So, I would have to imagine that Conforto is somebody that they at least attempt to lock up at a, at a relatively decent price. Um, it's just if Scott Boris, you know, goes hard with the years, then that might derail it. But I'm actually okay with them not signing him. The only issue I really think that the the, the huge issue that I think you have with this team is is the bullpen. Um, because number one, it was incredibly avoidable. Like you could have had an amazing bullpen for like not that much at all. Um, and you know, you, 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 there were guys like Keone Kella and Mark Melanson and Shane or, or Shane Green, Shane Green. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Darren O'Day, like all these amazing relievers on the market for like a Joachim Soria. I was like, what? It's like $7 million. Like, and they got Trevor May, they got Trevor May, and they got Aaron Loop, both both terrific signings, but they also got Aradis Vizcaino, who, if you look at his numbers, had really terrific numbers from 2017, and it was like 2017 to 2019, it was like 100 games, he had like a sub-3 ERA, he like saved 30 games with it with Atlanta, then he got Tommy John surgery, the Mets picked him up, I love the move, he just got cut from the team, so I'm like, well, okay, like... Uh, I was, I kind of thought he'd be a decent, yeah, I'm like, he was like my sleeper all off season. Like, yeah, I was telling you, got to check out Vizcaino. I bet he's going to be great. They cut him. I'm like, why do you, Tommy Hunter again? Like I, I get going cheap with relief pitching, but going cheap can, could have been Mark Melanson. And I just don't understand why they didn't do it. Like, you know, I trust the pot, the Padres pitching. And I trust their organization and they signed him. So that to me is like a seal of approval um, could have had him, didn't, uh, Shane Green still a free agent. You know, my point is, I just don't understand why they didn't sign more free agents. They easily could have in terms of relievers. So I give them a, a, a probably like a C plus there despite getting may, who I think is going to be absolutely unbelievable. Uh, but, but you look at this staff and you've got a lot of guys like Edwin Diaz, Miguel Castro, uh, Bedellin Batansis and Yuris Familia, who who all should get a lot of time. Now, if I have a lead in the sixth, I'm gonna have to go to one of those guys at least once a week, each. And so, which is terrifying. And and if there's runners on base, 
Now, I'm actually a lot more comfortable with, with Diaz. But if there are runners on base, these are guys that walk batters. These are guys that strike out batters. And these are guys that give home runs. So you're going to see a lot of two-run home runs and then, like, two strikeouts in the inning. Um, that, to me, does nothing. And I think you they should have done something to mitigate that, right? I don't care if you end up releasing Familia or Batances. Like, I genuinely do not give a crap if you just win the game, right? Cut your losses. You don't get any cookie for playing Familia. You know, uh, he's looked awful in spring. Maybe that maybe he turns it around, but I don't I don't think so. So I think that's going to factor into my final grade, which is, again, why I docked them so heavily. But the bullpen was so bad in 2019. Like, they had... Remember the first episode? I was, like you know, going off on the fact that they had blown 20 leads in the first half yeah. and they didn't yeah. fix the problem. Like they easily could have fixed that problem, at least combat the problem. Mark Melanson, Darren O'Day, safest relievers that you could, that money can buy. I don't need Kirby Yates. I don't even need, uh, you know, Brad Hand. I don't care. Just, just get a safe reliever. And you're good, and you pay, and you spend less than ten million dollars on like three safe relievers. I don't, I don't get it. I really, I don't get it. So that I dock them heavily there, and then the starting pitching. Um, you know, Carrasco, awesome. Like he got a hamstring strain. Like that, that's gonna happen. Pitchers are gonna get hurt this year. I, you and I, I think both kind of raised our eyebrows because he's recovering from cancer. He had leukemia. You know, you pointed out. I think this was also. Uh, a really good pickup, which is chemo has a you know very tough uh, impacts on the body. Maybe that affects his ability to heal. I don't know, and I don't think there's enough. My main point was that it was just going to hurt. It might hurt going into his later years, considering the fact that he just had it. About yeah, I mean, to, I mean, right. Ago. To be fair, I'm not necessarily making the connection like well, he, he, you know, his hamstring uh, is not going to heal faster because he had chemo. Or I, I actually don't think those are necessarily related. I'm just saying that. It does a lot to your body, and I don't think we know. I, th- I think we were both just like wondering, um, but oh, but I think having a you know a good year last year, there's a lot more reason to be optimistic that he just like had a hamstring strain, which happened. So they did great to get that number two starter. They retained Marcus Stroman. Um, you know, I, I mean, Jake Odorizzi probably would have made a lot more sense than uh, than um, than Tyone, but or, or excuse me, uh, Taiwan Walker. But yeah. but I will also say that Jake Odorizzi, um, you know, his basically the way that Hefner Hefner worked with him in on the Twins, and the way that Jake Odorizzi has found a lot of success in recent years is high fastballs, uh, and getting generating whiffs with those high fastballs, uh, and that's how he gets all, most of his strikeouts. Um, he saw. Uh, a heavy increase in swinging strikes on his fastball in 2020 and in 2019 when he put them high in the zone. But if you get him on a multi-year deal, if he loses velocity on the fastball, to me, I think you're going to end up paying a pitcher a lot of money to be not that effective. And for the Mets, because it was like the back end of the offseason and they had already spent a lot of money, I don't, I'm not going to kill them for for uh, Taiwan Walker over Jake Odorizzi. Jake Odorizzi is, I think, in my mind, like a clear upgrade. But I think Taiwan Walker is also, you know, he's been pretty, he's shown me he's pretty decent in spring. I think he's going to keep you in games, you know, four ERA kind of guy. Their offense is, you know, top 10 uh, in baseball, probably top five in the National League. I think they're, they should, on a nightly basis, 
score, you know, five, you know, four, four runs or so, and that should keep you in a game. But I think what it what happens is it boils down to the bullpen because your starter can keep you in the game, your offense can keep you in the game, but if your bullpen blows the lead like that, you're there's just really nothing you can do about that. Um, and I guess if you just kind of look at you know all the additions that they made, right? Uh, Lindor, Carrasco, Walker, Malik Smith, McCann, Loop, May, uh, Kevin Pillar, Albert Almora, Joey Lucchese, Yamamoto, Drury, Tarpley, Hunter, Vizcaino, like the depth, I love it. So I also give them an A for depth, but I just, I don't know. The bullpen, I think is not, you know, I don't know if it'll be their undoing, but I definitely think there's possibility for, for huge floor for so a very avoidable floor. What, what's the grade? The, the overall grade I'm saying is like a B plus. If I had to get like a more, more accurately, it'd probably be like a number. I'd probably give it like an 82, 83. Okay. So I'm just going to go through it quickly because you pretty much just went over everything. But basically, um, they traded for Duan Carrasco. Good job. They got Loop. They picked up Blar. Good uh, infielder shortstop. They got Great uh, McCann. Yeah, depth. They got McCann at an affordable rate, ten year, uh, four years, $40 million. They got Trevor May. To add for the bullpen, um, and they picked up Tywin Walker, and they retained um, Stroman. I give him a B minus. I give him a B minus, and here's why. I, I I disagree with the Jake Odorizzi point. I, Jake Odorizzi got twenty million dollars for two years. It's ten million AAV. He's thirty one years old. He just turned thirty one. It's not like this guy's thirty six. So he's a, you know I I get your point, but to not take a flyer, you're paying him ten million dollars. The Yankees are paying Kluber eleven million for one year. So it, it it's not like that was like out of the realm of possibilities. Not like you're committing an insane amount of dollars to this guy. Um, you know, you need the starting depth as we see now because now Carrasco's hurt. So now you're going into the, the start of the season. Stro- you have Degrom, Stroman one two, then it's Taiwan Walker number three, and a cast of characters for the remainder of the rotation. So that's a problem. Well, number yeah. two, okay, the, the, number two, the bullpen. The bullpen's a problem. Um, Dylan Batances, it looks like a shell of himself. Familia. I've been out on Familia for so long, um, but now it really looks like it's beginning to catch up to him. Edwin Diaz, I think, is going to bounce back, have a nice season. I liked adding um, Trevor May and adding Loop. Um, Both uh, Loop out of one-year deal, good money, $3 million. Trevor May, two years, 15.5. Trevor May is really going to be the guy, um, I think, to – Get the ball in, in and also situations. Drew Smith has been super clutch for this team as well the past few yeah. years. Um, the the Springer thing originally, you know, it was reported that the Mets wouldn't go the extra year, but like I just said before, I that makes sense. You know, you're going to be paying this guy, you know, twenty five million dollars, even if you can get that that, that even if you can get that of uh, that that extra year for less money, right? Less mm-hmm. a like less uh, value for that one year. Still don't know if it's worth it to be paying Springer that much money into, you know, 36, 37, 38 year old territory. But that now leaves, you know, uh, question marks with the defense. You know, Brandon Nimmo is going to be playing center field. He's a better left fielder. There's no DH. Dom Smith is not going to be playing left field. He's not a great left fielder. There's no third baseman. There's no third baseman. You have J.D. Davis as your third baseman. You have Brandon Drury in the minors, unless they released him, and I didn't know about it. Um so, you know, when you when you have a guy like Stroman who's on the mound, who's a ground ball pitcher, what's going to be different besides having Lindor behind you? Alonzo's getting better at, at first. I mean, Neil is a, you know, league average 
uh, defensive second baseman. He's not anything stellar, but he can get the job done. But I, I, I understand the frustration of Mets fans who don't think that they spent enough. And therefore, they get a B minus. But a B minus is good. I mean, look, you have to think about we're we're elevating here, right? This is a trend you know, in the right B, direction for the this Mets. This is a trend in the for right the direction. Be, this is unbelievable. In the B. Yeah. They're in. The, and, and listen, it's an embarrassment that they weren't here before because this is a New York team. It's a big market, and they should be. They well, should I think you also have to factor well. in just how much work they had to do as well. Like exactly. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm saying it's an embarrassment that the previous ownership couldn't get it together and, and also you know, like they, they, this, there were years where they had I mean, it's not like the Mets have been despondent right if you look at what the Mets were left with that uh, or Sandy Alderson was left with like if you sign Jackie Bradley Jr. well now you have three left you have three left-handed outfielders and your lineup you know is just mostly left-handed it's very it's very hard to have yeah. that happen and then you're overpaying for Jackie Bradley Jr. like the third base situation you just had JD Davis like you like that's who you had like there wasn't you know what is the team going to go out and also get Chris Bryant like maybe I actually was in favor of that um looking back you know I don't know I don't know if it was a good well, idea Jackie but... Bradley only I mean you're not overpaying I mean he's he can't hit he might hit well in uh Bruce Stadium but yeah maybe maybe but he's I, getting he's getting 12 million a year it's not like he's getting like a, a true but I, I just think that that they're the only for two years for a, a player like Jackie Bradley Jr. I think the marginal ballpark difference actually makes a huge difference because he he hit really super well in Fenway uh his his road numbers in terms of his power there's a stark difference um he goes from like 30 home runs to 13 over the course of two seasons if you take him outside of Fenway. So putting him in one of the worst parks for hitters it was going to be a problem considering he does not hit much for contact. So I was not like I, I was going to like just, you know, grin and get Bradley Jr. and just be like, all right, I'm happy with the offense. But weirdly enough, actually, if you look at the out. So the, I was I so I have a friend, Jess who I was talking to her about uh, like the outfield. And I was like trying to, trying to see like how many balls were hit to the outfield in 2020 uh, just to see how much outfield defense actually matters. And so you can go on baseball savant and sort of like put in some numbers and uh, you know, kind of figure this out. This was super weird. So in 2020 there were 1000, there were 14,439 regular season hits. 203 were fly balls to left literally less than 2% were fly balls to left. So if you have, I don't know how that's going to play out over the course of a full season, because that's not, that's, uh, you know, not, that's not necessarily like a super small sample size, but that's, that's not big at all. And that's that I just find that kind of interesting because I think we think of the, the corner outfield positions in, a, you know, I, I was going to say city field is a cavernous park. You need a good outfield. Maybe, maybe the, the idea that you need like a super good corner outfielder is, is a bit overblown. Maybe, maybe we kind of overthought that. No, um, but a bad outfielder is a problem. No, a bad outfielder. Well, a bad outfielder is a problem. But I think that of I'd rather have a bad outfielder than a bad shortstop, which is the huge difference that they they had with Lindor versus Rosario. And I just get the sense that there wasn't a ton that they could have actually done. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, you you play Jackie Bradley Jr. Like, OK, you've got Jackie Bradley Jr. You've got uh Nimmo and then you've got Conforto but again like Jackie Bradley Jr. is a huge offensive 
issue. Like there's, it, it was never going to be a perfect situation because of kind of the awkward team that they hit that, that, uh, Sandy inherited from, from the, the well pond. So, um, uh, I guess like sort of, you know, uh, the last thing I'll say, and you know, we're going to get into player spotlights on the next episode. This is going to be like a two part thing for the Mets and the Yankees. Um, but the second thing I'll say is that, uh, you know, overall, I think the B B plus B minus range is about right. But I think if you look at the team overall, if they are, you know, bad, it's going to be because of the bullpen. And I think we kind of both agree there. Yeah, but I also think you're underplaying the defense a bit. There's no, there's nobody to catch the ball at third base. J.D. Davis is not an, a league average third baseman. He's a bad defensive third baseman. Brandon Nimbo is not – Brandon Nimbo's league average center fielder. He's, he's probably left. worse than league average, if I'm being honest. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I listen, I was so – that, 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 that just concerns me. That, you know, the two – yeah, they got Francisco Lindor, they got Carlos Carrasco. And also they're going to – I think they're also Great going job. to – Not much else has changed. I think they're also going to do some, like, offensive and defensive replacements. Like, they're going to switch uh, – like, when they have leads, they're going to switch – uh, Albert Almore, who's a great, objectively, like a terrific center fielder. I think they're going to like take, you know, Nimmo or Dom or whomever out in the middle of the game uh, if, they, if they have a lead, which I'm lukewarm about as well. Like I'd, I'd probably rather have Dom's bat, but that's, it's a solid strategy. Uh, you know, not, not, I'd obviously, I think, I think going forward, they're going to have some actual common sense and just like have good players at positions. Uh, but, but we'll yeah. see. So I guess we should save this or we I, I, maybe I was going to say next episode, but I do. You can't really finish an episode without talking about the culture uh, of the New York Mets and some of the offseason shenanigans. You don't want to talk about it, but you have to. Um, it's just an unfortunate you know, part of the game. So, um, you know, uh, Alessandra, do you want to start us off or should do I should I have the honor of describing uh, if you want to do it, you can do it. I can do it. It doesn't matter. All right, well, all right. I mean, I just, I guess, uh, you know, it's not, it's not fun either way. But basically, all right. So basically, um, you know, uh, the the issue we don't, I don't, I don't think we necessarily have to even go too deep into the actual details. We, I think, we all understand that men in baseball um, have been harassing women. Uh, there have been men who are caught, um, and basically, the uh, you know the the men who were caught. Um, produced, I think, a wide array of responses uh, throughout the league uh, and and throughout fans, and I think it it kind of touched upon something in the game that a lot of women have been coming out and saying, which is that you know Lindsay Adler has also been super vocal about this, and I think one of the things if you if you just kind of hear what she's been saying, which is that like when I have a you know coffee with a with a player people assume that i'm like dating the player but when you know a, a man has uh dinner you know lunch or something with a with a you know a, a player uh they assume it's like for business and these are you know on the surface level right you see these you know um how do i say this like on the surface level you see these sort of very off-putting interactions, but it gets much deeper. And we saw this offseason that Mickey Calloway sent lewd images. Um, basically, he, he was doing this while he was on the Mets. I It sounds relatively clear that uh, 
this was something that had been happening for a long time uh, and had and it seems like many people kind of knew about this. Um, and then the Mets also um, fired another another uh, staff member. It was a second it was a second Mets staff member um, uh, whose name escapes me. But they fired the general manager, Jared Porter. And the, yes, right. Yeah. So basically three former Mets and current, well, one current Met uh, was fired. And, um, you know, Jared Porter sent illicit messages to a uh, foreign reporter. And then the response from Sandy Alderson was to not the only hitting, the hitting coach was a member of the, uh, was a member of the team. Yeah. He was a current member of the team. So it was two um, members of the Mets. I guess. Yeah. I mean, look, we're, it's just, I, I'm not going to lie. I do feel like as a guy, kind of explaining this is is like i'm not gonna do it justice um but i guess just to describe to do the part that i think is my responsibility and something that i quite frankly just think is important to do uh is to just say that sandy alderson in his response he outed the woman who was uh was intentionally her her identity was intentionally left out and where she was from was intentionally left out and alderson the woman who was texting jared porter the well the yes like the the right the the foreign respondent again we're not going to say where she's from but alderson did and that was obviously a goof on his part um and when they asked when uh hannah kaiser of yahoo sports asked uh stephen cohen or excuse me uh sandy alderson if they had um you know if they'd hired, uh, uh, if there were women to hire, uh, or excuse me, if there were women to reference, uh, for, uh, to ask for references about Porter, he said that there weren't. Now, I think that's kind of not true. Like, you can actually go into on LinkedIn and, like, look and, you know, uh, I've done this before, uh, I, I, partly out of curiosity. And I think there is kind of an importance to, like, the merit of what he said. Um, and you, obviously, you don't have to do this to, you know, but it... There were women working on the Cubs. There were women working on the Red Sox. Uh, and again, I'm not going to like say their names because that's that's probably not helpful and unnecessary. But there were women working there. It's unclear, at least from you know reading some of the descriptions, that how closely they worked with Porter. But there were women. I think you know probably not too many, but there certainly were women. And I guess the question that I don't have been answered to, but I also can relay some of the things that I've heard women saying um, is that like it is kind of seemingly like the response has been men asking women like what should we do and like can you explain to me what I should do and like can you talk to the men that work here and, and it's like it's kind of just been <laughs> really hard to watch some of the responses to this um, uh, and so I, I guess you know, look, I'm quite frankly, I don't think I'm going to do a terrific job explaining this and well, talking about it. But all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say two. I'll speak on it for one minute um, and then we'll, we'll move on to the Yankee stuff. So the problem is, is that, you know, men in baseball have been using their position of power to, you know, basically solicit sex, mainly from female reporters um, trying, you know, reporters, their, their job daily is to get the inside scoop on a team. And not and be part like of Mickey the story. Calloway not make themselves part people, of the story. Yeah, exactly. And people like Mickey Calloway and uh, Jared Porter were using their positions of power to 
you know, solicit sex, which is yeah. a, a dog shit, awful, horrible thing to do. Terrible. Yeah. And what's unfortunate is that this has happened time and time and time again under Sandy Alderson, and there were questions coming in, and we don't have to go into this, like, totally. But there, you know, there's three scandals that took place over the offseason, all of which happened to the Mets. And I think at some point, you know, obviously it's every victim's place to decide when they want to speak. But at a certain point when, when multiple people are coming out and are giving out their story, and this is, seems like this is becoming an issue that's being brought to light, that's when you start to see the victims tend to release their story, whether it be under anonymity, which is what happened in these cases, or not, whether they, they, you know, they go in front of the camera. It doesn't matter either way. They're telling their story. Um, and these these stories have happened specifically to the Mets. Obviously, Callaway had happened um, while he was with the Indians and throughout his time with the Mets. Porter had happened while he was with the Diamondbacks. Um, but the, and on the, the Red the, Sox, the point, I believe. And on the Red Sox. But the, port, the, the, the point is, is that Porter was hired. And it was, somebody dropped the ball, whether it be Sandy Alderson or the team prior, who did not inform them and let them know that this was a, a, a serious allegation that was taking place. And the Mets didn't know about Callaway. They claimed they didn't know much, but they didn't know about Callaway. And when you look back at the Mets and the Mets history, and this isn't, this isn't Mets-specific. This is not Mets-specific. But I'm, I'm, we're using the Mets as an example because the Mets are the ones who were under the spotlight. They had three separate cases, so you have to use them as the spotlight. So nobody, th- nobody thinks that I'm just singling out the Mets. No, this but is happening I, I think that throughout all sports and all. But let me finish. Throughout all sports, over all teams, this happens because it's a male dominant sport. These people are in a position of power, and they think that they can use that position of power to solicit sex. And when you look at a team like the Mets, it's especially egregious and, and shines a special spotlight on it because this is a team that going dating back to the 80s has had this kind of like rough house you know animal house mentality to their team and their whole thing in the 80s was we're going to go out we're going to do drugs and we're going to sleep with the other team's women and there were scandals that were coming out back then too so this is a, a thing that is as carried on consistently throughout every decade with the Mets and at some point all of baseball, all sports needs to look themselves in the mirror and, and ask, well, you know, what what's going on? It's 2021. What's going on here? Let's tap back in. Yeah, I was going right? to say also, if you're, and, if you're a fan and you find yourself getting defensive because of your fandom and your allegiance to a team, you should kind of examine that and be like, you know, what does that say about me? That I value my little sports team over the humanity of women. Like that that kind of is, exactly. is kind of sad. Uh but and again, it's a, it's a problem because that that's a great point because I remember when this happened, I was getting into arguments all all over with all over social on, media, on Twitter yeah. with Met fans on Twitter, and I understand the the initial gut reaction, but you have to wake the fuck up and look well, no, at yourself in the mirror. To do so our I'll, job, I'll, I'll, I'll to do curse, our but. have our podcast and do it effectively. I think you and I both try to get a pulse of the fan bases, and social media is the way to do that. And the responses that I've seen. Like, I don't, I'm not going to say that I have a percentage to put on like what percentage of the fan base says this, but I saw so many responses that were like from the sixties. Like they were just guys like, well, what did, what did, what did she do? We don't know. It's like, there are screenshots. It's like, so what? It's like, what, what, what does that even mean? I mentioned, I mentioned how it was a bad look for the Mets with the, with the Porter signing. And then it and then that going down with, with uh, Mickey Callaway. What, what they all did is, is 
egregious. I'm just saying in terms of how it affects the organization, how it affects the, per- the perception of the Mets, the Mick Callaway thing on a, to a lesser extent, but also because you have an owner who's also been wrapped up in discrimination cases. I made that point on Twitter, and for three days I was getting notifications on Twitter because of just yeah, Mets fans that's, being that's, like, that's well, what about Domingo Herman who slapped his like girlfriend in the face? Yes! Well, it's like, awful, what about? <laughs> yeah. Terrible. What is this? like? like the, would, the, but the, it's the, not about the what about game. Yeah, You're not exactly. pointing fingers here. Yeah, exactly. It's equally egregious and it's equally horrific. And, it, and it's something that I, I guarantee you every team has somebody in, within their organization who's looking over their shoulder now because they know that they've been caught up in some type of animalistic behavior yeah. where they've been, yeah. you know, some type of predator. So I, I think this is not going to be the end of it. I think that was just the beginning. I don't know if it's going to happen during, during the season, throughout the, ne- the, the next offseason, or if it just, you know, trickles down through time. Well, one of the ways, I mean, if you look at, you know, there have been, there's a study done uh, by Harvard that shows really that one of the main issues that, I mean, this is for businesses, so they refer to them as managers, but like, to be clear, I'm not talking about like Tony LaRusso or like a manager. I'm talking about like people who are in positions of power. And one of the main issues is that, number one, you have, uh, you know, when you have, you know, people in positions of power, they're not, they're usually not capable or they're, the issue is that they're not able to identify what constitutes harassment versus what constitutes like a, you know, I don't know, a relationship or something. And so training, I mean, it sounds super simple, but based on, you know, the, the study that I read, training seems like it's number one, like the number one way to combat it. And I kind of poo-pooed this idea, but I'm kind of coming around to, which is that a lot of people said like, just hire more women. And the Mets are a team that actually had a many opportunities to hire Kim Eng and chose to hire Brody Van Wagenen, who was not competent at, at all. Um, and probably the Mets probably would have saved themselves, uh, you know, like actual, value like if you're if your only concern is value then that then your check the box is checked there because i think they probably would have had they still would have had jared kelenic had kim ang or practically any other gm being employed by the mets they still would have had and they would not have had robinson cano but the other thing is you also probably would have had an environment with different perspectives to be like hey that dude is harassing women like how does nobody see this